turned on. Hey, turn with me in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 3, if you will. Ephesians chapter 3. Pray for those uh, in our congregation who are sick. We have uh, quite a few that are ill right now. Um, so just keep them in your prayers. We started a, a, a series. Our theme for this year is called Life as a Church. And we started a series talking about uh, what... What, is that, what that means. What does it mean that life is a church? And simply what it means is that your life should be affected by what you learn in church. And life and church should come together in a, in a, a kind of a, a, a patterned, uh, a weaving of a pattern in your life so that your life reflects Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 16, says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. It's amazing that in that passage, he mentions love twice. And how being established in love and the love of God can help us to understand the love of God in, such a, in a deeper way and a deeper understanding. There are many different aspects to the love of God, many different ways our lives interact with the love of God, and many different ways our lives are affected by the love of God. But understand this, our motivations in life, what we do, what we say, how we treat people, how we interact within this church body should be motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean there won't be conflict. That don't, doesn't mean that there won't be times of struggle and times of trial. But I would ask you this as we get into our message. What is your go-to when times get tough? When you have a conflict, what is your go-to? Is it love or are you immediately defensive? and combative, and do you immediately go to war? See, when it comes to how, see, I'm watching these kids come down the hall, it's awesome. Um, when it comes to how church should affect our lives and how we should affect the church, it should be motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. And the deeper we're rooted in the love of Christ in our lives, the more effective we'll be for the kingdom of God through a local church. Now, my message today is entitled The Life Church Symbiosis. Little, uh, what's, that, what's that TV show? Um, Big Bang Theory. It's like a Big Bang Theory uh, title there. The Life Church Symbiosis. Um, the connection that makes a church effective is when each individual realizes their potential, purpose, responsibility, and need in and to their local church and commits themselves to making that possibility a reality. That's when we see the life church connection happen. When each of us puts ourselves behind and our feelings and our desires, and those are in second place, and we put the kingdom of God and the, the benefit of the church body, the benefit of the ministry of the church first, 
And then we find out where we're gifted and how we're talented, and we make the connection in our lives with the church and the ministry that God has called us to be a part of. That's when we see an effective connection between life and church. The church draws its effectiveness from the lives of its members who are surrendered to the will of God and actively involved in accomplishing that will in their local church. No church will ever be successful for the kingdom of God if its members are not effectively living as if Jesus and his plan for their lives for all of eternity. A church that is full of members who don't care about God's plan for their lives and the eternity of their community, uh, their community members is not a true church. It's a social gathering of individuals with no eternal purpose. And that brings us to what I call the life church symbiosis. Listen, if we are simply here to listen to music, to have some donuts, to drink some coffee, and to get together and, and, and talk about... <sighs> there's some... Uh, Lewis, there's something going on this afternoon. Not quite sure what it is. It's not really important to me. Um, some sort of a soccer match, isn't it? I think. Uh, so <laughs> All I know is that pitchers and catchers report in like 11 days. <laughs> know what I'm saying? Know what I'm saying? Go Sox. Yes. And uh, yeah, the Super Bowl is going on today. If all we care about is making plans in church for a Super Bowl party, then we don't get the purpose of church. Amen. We don't understand the purpose of church. If we turn this Sunday morning into a celebration of a football game, then we don't understand the importance of church. Listen, folks, outside these walls, people are dying, lost, and on their way to hell. That's what we should be concerned about. That's what our focus should be on in church. Listen, I'm not saying we don't interact with life. My goodness, if you've heard me preach more than for, five, for more than five minutes, okay, that's a little exaggeration. A little bit longer than that. You'll know that I'm first and foremost a Dodgers fan. And then a little bit farther down the road, I'm a Rams fan. You'll understand. I have no problem with these kind of things. I've been watching... I, I'm not a, a tweeter or on Twitter, whatever. I don't use Twitter much at all. But you know what I have been using it for this week? I've been going in and checking the updates on the Mookie Betts to the Dodgers trade. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, yeah buddy. That's a, I've been all over that. That's right. So that's not a problem there. But when that becomes the focus of our lives and the focus of our church, then we're missing the point of why we're here. And what we need is that life church symbiosis. I had to look that up because it sounded good, but I really didn't know if I was using it in the right way. You ever been like that? It has a good sound to it, but are you using it right? What is the definition of symbiosis, and what is it that I'm trying to talk about this morning? Symbiosis is simply the interaction between two different organisms living in close physical association, typically to the advantage of both. When it comes to human interaction, it's a mutually beneficial relationship between different people or groups. Mutually beneficial. Doesn't that describe what a church should be for us? Church should be mutually beneficial. We should benefit from the church, but the church should also benefit from you. The church should also benefit from you being here. Listen, if all you want to do is come to church and pick people apart, nobody's benefiting from you. But if you want to come to church, boy, yesterday morning, oh, man, gentlemen, if you missed yesterday morning, whew, first of all, you missed some really good food. 
So I walked in, and it, it was, you could tell it was a men's breakfast because, because Lewis brought his, his put. This is like God invented this thing and delivered it to earth right after he created Adam and Eve, I'm sure. This thing is a, a, a grill. What is it? It's like a flat top. A, a, flat to, a flat top grill on wheels. It's amazing. It's like a grill. Yeah, oh my goodness. And I walked in. You could smell the, the, the bacon because there was bacon. There was bacon for, there, there was bacon for days, man. And there, was, there was bacon for days. And there was sausage. And there were these, these potatoes that, oh, Jesus kissed. And, and uh, oh my goodness. And there were eggs that were cooked on this this miraculous invention from God and and you could tell it was a men's breakfast am I right because everybody was standing around this thing and they were talking about it we're saying man how do I get this where do I buy this and oh my goodness it was amazing and Jeremy is instantly Jeremy is like oh wow we gotta have this for what could we do can you imagine what we could do with the church with this thing I'm like man we were having we were having a time we were having a moment here it was a spiritually blessed time. Oh my goodness! And uh, oh my goodness! And then my wife crashed the party, and had some had some. But oh, it was it was it was amazing. And you know, what was great about it was that each individual benefited from that. But as a group, as a church. Ladies, whether you know it or not, whether you understand it or not, other men, whether you know it or understand it or not, we all benefited from that. Because men at New Life got together and just, I'll tell you guys, that, correct me, but that was a men's breakfast. That wasn't breakfast, that was a men's breakfast. And, and ladies, um, it, 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 it's not a Galentine's Day banquet, <laughs> that's for sure, that's for sure. The church benefits when men are men. And when men come together and, and sharpen each other, even through conflict, because, you know, when you, Drew is, a, Drew is a, a professional chef. The man's amazing, amazing with food. And when you sharpen a knife, that's not a, that's not a kind thing, right? I mean, if, if you're thinking about it, let's think about it. When you're sharpening a knife, it's not a nice thing you're doing to those knives. If that was you and me physically, it would be painful. Am I right? You're hitting those things against each other. And iron sharpens iron. And sometimes conflict makes us stronger and makes us better because we have to work issues out. But if we don't work issues out and we simply are on one side and never allow iron to sharpen iron, well, we're never going to get sharper. We're never going to grow. We're never going to be better followers of Jesus Christ. Even in, even in the church, Pastor John, conflict can, can work to the betterment of the church? Absolutely. Look at what Jesus said to Peter. <coughs> Peter, get behind me, Satan. That was not being kind. That was a pretty rough statement. So yes, in church, those kind of things benefit us. Church is a mutually beneficial Body and a mutually beneficial relationship if we allow it to be. The life-church symbiosis is an important thing to know. In other words, when our lives 
When we live our lives for Jesus in the right way, then our lives will benefit the church and the church will benefit our lives. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about this connection in a more detailed way, starting with today. If you, looked my, if you saw my uh, invitation yesterday, I told you what we we're going to be talking about today, right? We're we'll talking about doctrine. And that's like, oh, great. Yeah, here we go, doctrine. I, doctrine class in, when I was in college and seminary, it, doctrine was um, usually the dustiest professor. They kind of, kind of dusted him off and brought him out of the, the far corner tower and brought him down, and he carries the tomes, not books, the tomes, right? And he puts them down and opens them. And it's, it, just, it can be very tedious for a lot of people. But I'm going to show you this morning how, why doctrine is incredibly important in our lives. And we're going to be talking about the different areas of the church that are mutually beneficial, beneficial for us and beneficial for others. We first must understand that when it comes to the life church symbiosis, the life church connection, the mutually beneficial connection between you and your church and your church and you, it all begins with the Bible. It all begins with the Word of God. I, my, my shoelace came untied. That's okay. I won't trip, I promise. It begins with the Bible. Anyone that is interested in growing in their personal faith in Jesus must begin that growth with a growing knowledge of the Bible. Because that's where the message from Jesus for both our individual lives and the effective operation of a church are found. Understand that. The reason we offer Bible studies and the reason we're going to continue to offer Bible studies so that if only two people can show up, at least those two are digging into the Word. We want to offer Bible studies as often as possible so we can get as many people connected in a Bible study as possible. Why? Because if you're going to follow Jesus Christ with your life, it begins with a knowledge of the Word of God, not with what you think. When it comes to the operation of a church, I know, I know, I know, folks. I get it. People don't like to hear it. But when it comes to a church, a true New Testament gospel preaching church, it begins with the truth of the Bible. Not with anybody's feelings, not with anybody's desires, not with how we get along with each other, okay? It begins with the Word of God. It has to, or we're nothing but a country club. <clears throat> The best source for any life and church is the Bible. Today, many in society are trying to push the Bible out of our culture, and even our church is in favor of science, reason, or philosophy. But the Bible still stands as a light to those in darkness and the answer for so many who will ask the question of its relevance. Consider these statistics. Listen, we can think all we want, and the Bible is. It's going out of fashion. It's being pushed away. But I believe there's hope. Maybe in your life personally, you put the Bible in second place, or even third. Because I know a lot of, I hear a lot of sermons a lot of times, and I hear a lot of Christians, and there's a lot of discussion and argument on Facebook over science, and how, 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 how can you, as a Christian, deny science? Well, I'll tell you, I can deny it because it's not, it's not all truth. If it, listen, I'll just use one example. If you want to stand here and tell me, if you want to have a conversation and tell me that evolution is, is proven, settled, scientific fact, I'm going to laugh at you. For, I'm not going to laugh because that's disrespectful. But I'm going to say you're wrong because it's not. Just because a scientist tells you that he believes it's proven doesn't mean it's true. 
It hasn't been proven, folks. Yet what's being pushed in our schools over and over, and it comes into our church so much so that now we have theistic evolution because we're capitulating to those who, don't, who disagree with us and have big mouths and want to shout us down. We have to stand for truth. The only way you can stand for truth is if you know truth. And that's where the Bible comes in. There is hope because the Bible hasn't been completely pushed out of church and it hasn't been completely pushed out of society. Listen to some of these statistics. 20% of Americans have read through the Bible at least once. That may not sound like a lot, but it really is. One out of every five Americans has read through the Bible at least one time. Another 12% say they read the Bible almost, uh, they have read almost all of the Bible. So that's 32%. That's one third of America, at least, that has almost read the, has, has read it all or has at least read most of the Bible. I think that's a good start. 15% have read at least half the Bible. 53% of Americans have read relatively little of the Bible, so that gives us a challenge to work up to. 49% of evangelicals read the Bible every day systematically. Now, you wonder, one of the things we're going to be taught, one of the things that is doctrine is church attendance. We've recently uh, had people come back at us. Oh, why are you always honest about church attendance? Why do you always say those things? Because it matters, man. It matters. That's just not my opinion. That's doctrine from the Word of God. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. 49% of evangelicals read the Bible every day in a systematic way. Maybe that's you. You have a reading plan, right? You, you, uh, maybe you use the Bible app and it, you, you read the Bible every day through that. Maybe you read, use your, the Bible app. How many of you even... Hey, how many of you know that there are some great, um, great applications, great opportunities for you to use a technology to read the Bible? How many, I, I do this periodically. How many of you today are using anything, are, are using a, a, a cell phone for, as a Bible today? Look at that. Do you know that you can use the Bible for your daily reading? It's amazing. 49% of all evangelicals who are in church read the read, have a systematic way of reading the Bible. <clears throat> now, the more people attend church, the more they are likely to read the Bible. That is statistically proven out. The more you attend church, you see the connection? See the connection? The more your life invests in being in God's house with God's people, hearing God's word, the more likely you are in your life to take the Bible in on a daily basis. You understand? Is it, is it starting to come together for you? The more you invest your life in your, in your church, the more likely you are to take the Bible in on a daily basis and read it. And we know that as we read the Word of God more and more, we benefit by growing in faith. <clears throat> Excuse me. Only 13% of those who attend church less than once a month read the, the Bible daily. For those people who are sometimers in church, who don't attend church at least once a month, only 13% read the Bible. Do you see the connection? Being connected to church on a daily, on a, on a weekly faithful basis draws you closer to reading the Word of God, which draws you closer to Jesus Christ learning His message for you and applying it to you, to your life every day. Here's some encouraging stuff. 37% of Americans say that the Bible is helpful today. 
That's almost half. We truly are a nation who understands the benefit, at least understands to a degree, the benefit of the Bible. 52%, listen to this, this blew me away when I, when I, checked, when I looked at these statistics. 52% of Americans today say the Bible is a good source for morality. Does that shock you? Shocks me. 52% say it's a good source for morality. And only 14, this is, usah, right? Bring it in. Don't get carried away with this one, John. Because we get just brutalized, don't we, as Christians? We get just destroyed by the press. Watch, watch these news shows all the time, and they just, just destroy people of faith. Just, I mean, evangelicals, listen, if you're, I'm not going to get political, but evangelicals, if you're, if we are evangelicals, they spit on us when it comes to politics. Whether or not you support this president or not, if you call yourself an evangelical, you're spit on by the media because you're the reason we're it, we're, we are where we are, whether you want to take credit for that or not. But it's a small minority that feels that way. It's a small minority that feels that way. In, in, in life, in politics, in, in, uh, in public life, it's a small minority that just gets loud and loud and loud. And we know the old saying, the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? But we need to understand something. Only 14% of Americans say that the Bible is outdated. Did you get that? Only 14%. That's approximately one out of every 10 people say the Bible is outdated and completely irrelevant to life today. That's minuscule. 7%, only 7% 7, only 7 say the Bible is harmful. That's less than one out of every 10 people. And only 8% say that it's bigoted. Only 8% of Americans say that the Bible is bigoted. So see, there is great hope today for America, and great hope for our, our nation, great hope for our region when it comes to reaching them with the Word of God. But it begins with you taking the Bible into your life, you being connected to your church and allowing that connection, that symbiosis to be, to be mutually beneficial. <clears throat> Here's some good words about the good book. D.L. Moody says the, said, the Bible was not given for our information, but for our transformation. My father's favorite study preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, said this, a Bible that, now listen to this, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Alistair Begg, one of the guys I, lo I love, I listen to, you, you might listen to music, I listen to sermons. <laughs> I, I love to listen to other people preach. And Alistair Begg is a guy that I listen to, I listen to his podcast quite frequently, because he's just, <clears throat> he's, he's just good. He's getting a lot of good practical uh, knowledge. He says, a good church is a Bible-centered church. Nothing is, nothing is as important as this, not a large congregation, a witty pastor, or tangible experiences of the Holy Spirit. 
Abraham Lincoln, we've heard of him. He says, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to men. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. Elizabeth Elliot, wife of Jim Elliot, who was uh, martyred down in South America trying to take the gospel to, uh, tri to a tribe, said, the word of God, I think... Uh, the word of God I think of as a straight edge, which shows us our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of the scripture. And once again, C.H. Spurgeon, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. As we can see, I believe there's still hope for the Bible to have a major impact on not only our lives, but our community and our, our, on our country as well. But as we can also see, it begins with us as followers of Jesus and active church members taking personal responsibility for our spiritual growth and understanding of the Bible. Let me make that a little more practical, a little more understandable, break it down some. If all you do is come to church on Sunday morning and expect what I have to say, to transform you, if that's all you do, it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. It's just not. And there have been people who come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and never invest in their own walk with the Lord throughout the week. And you know what happens? Tragedy. Tragedy. In their own life or even in the church. Because if we are not connected to Jesus Christ, our source, not just on Sunday mornings, but every week in our lives, that all, we're, all we are, now listen to this, all we are is a big old target for Satan. And once he gets his hooks in you, he will swing you around like a dead cat, hitting anything and everything in its way. And it will cause damage. We need lives to connect with Jesus Christ in their local church and throughout the week, personally. It has to begin with a sincere belief in the truth and power of the scriptures. Too many, have, too many Christians have doubts or buy into lies about the truth of the Bible and therefore doubt its ability to change their lives. Not enough believers are committed to living according to the teachings of Jesus in his word because they've been fooled into believing that it is irrelevant by overzealous individuals who don't understand the Bible but are dead set against it. If you don't believe me, walk into any college any public college campus and listen to a professor who talks about philosophy. You can, you, can, you can go on the World Wide Web and check them out on the Google or the YouTube. Right? <laughs> and you can hear these things. And it's just amazing. It's just amazing. Understand the Bible is the foundation of the church. The Bible is the foundation of any effective Christian life, Christian home, or Christian marriage. Why is the Bible such an important and vital tool for a successful walk with Jesus? Because the Bible teaches us doctrine, and true biblical church doctrine is vital for your life. The Bible teaches, the Bible isn't just a connection of real nice stories and, and homilies. The Bible teaches us sound biblical doctrine 
that we can apply to our lives. Maybe you never saw church doctrine as something that is practical in your life and effective in your life. It's not just something that we hand out to people when they join the church, when they ask questions. It's not just a statement of faith. True church doctrine is not about how long you keep your hair, gentlemen, or ladies, whether you wear pants or skirts to church. Church doctrine is how you live your life and how we interact within a church. It's vital. And that's what I'm going to bring out this morning. Church doctrine is vital for your life. What is doctrine? Doctrine is what a church believes to be true according to the scriptures, including what they believe about the Bible. A true and biblically based New Testament church believes that the Bible is 100% true and without error. Understand that. Here at New Life, I, this, is, this is my Bible. I use the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. Some of you use the NIV, ESV, some, the, the KJV, different, different versions. Some of you have Bibles in Brazil, in, in Portuguese, Brazilian. It's in Portuguese, right? Some of you have Bibles that you read in Spanish because that's your, 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 uh, your first language. I don't care what language it's in or what version you have. This is the Word of God. I believe from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation... And everything in between is the true, unadulterated word of God. I believe it cover to cover. I believe it 100% to be true. I don't believe that, uh, that, these are, that some of these things are stories for our benefit. I believe they truly happened. Does that mean you believe the great flood? Absolutely. Absolutely. I believe that God flooded the earth so that he could start all over again. You believe that, that that story about Jonah that got swallowed by a whale? Well, I wouldn't say he got swallowed by a whale because the Bible doesn't say he got swallowed by a whale. The Bible says he got swallowed by a big fish. And there are fish that are large enough to swallow human beings. See, well, that's science, but we don't want to use science when it proves the Bible. We just want to try to twist it to say it doesn't. Yes, I believe. I believe. You believe of the end times? Absolutely. I believe we're living in the end times right now. I believe it. You're a climate change denier? Nope. I believe in it. I believe the climate is changing. I believe in all of that. I just don't believe in what those who deny Jesus Christ say is the cause. If you read your Bible, the Bible says in the end days, there will be changes in the, patterns of, in the pattern of weather. The Bible says what's going on here, folks, is not a call to action to ban straws. <laughs> Seriously. It is a call to action on Christians to realize that what God is saying is, my son is coming back soon. Get ready. I'm not, now those of you who are on that other side that, that completely say, no, don't think I'm saying that I'm, I'm validating everything from, from the liberal side of things. What I'm saying is God is trying to send us a message and get us to understand our time here is short. Why do you think churches are under attack? Why do you think you as a follower of Christ, every time you take a step forward, you get punched in the mouth by Satan? Because he wants to stop you from reaching out to this world with his message. 
Now, why is church doctrine vital for your life? First of all, church doctrine establishes the Bible as the truth for your life. Not just as the truth here for us to live, but as the truth for your life. Church doctrine establishes the standard for your morality and ethics. Remember the, the statistic I quoted to you? 52% of Americans believe the Bible is a great source for morality. Well, as Christians, why don't we want that? True, true church doctrine, once again, is not a list of do's and don'ts. That's not what church doctrine is. Please, we'll talk a little bit about it. That's not what church doctrine is. Church doctrine is how the, what the Bible says about G, Jesus teaching for us and how we should live our lives. I know it's Old Testament and it wasn't given in the church age, but do you know that the Ten Commandments are still a really good way to live? If more parents raised their children not to steal, we'd have a lot, of less, lot less theft. If more parents raised their children not to talk back to them and to respect authority and not to lie about other people, but to take responsibility. I've told you over and over, man, we're working on this with Gabriel and Michael right now. Gabriel and Michael and, and Jonathan and Mary, wherever they are, and, and at Jimmy and Jess, they both have twins. Get ready, man. Because twins have a built-in excuse. It was him. <laughs> no. I've, I have to sit my boys down, and I get down on their level, and I look them in the eye, and that's tough because I've got so much metal in my body. <laughs> and they're getting taller, so that's a good thing. And pretty soon I'll have to bring them down to my face. <laughs> Not really. Don't call DCF, okay? <clears throat> But I look at them and I say, guys, listen, there is nothing more important in your life than your character. And you have got to learn to take responsibility for your actions. You're not in trouble. You're not going to get grounded for a week. All I want to know is who left the Funny Bones wrapper on the table. Because I want you to pick it up and throw it away. That's all. You see, if... If we lived our lives and taught our children and, 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 and conducted our homes and marriages according to, let's just, let's just use the Ten Commandments, then we'd be a lot more moral and we'd have a lot more harmonious and happy homes. Amen. Truly. You see, that is doctrine in action. When you apply it to your life and say, this is how I'm supposed to live. Correct doctrine says that God's word matters to you. Correct doctrine says to others that you are connected with a group of people that feel the same way as you. As I was contemplating my sermon this morning and going over it in my mind, God just impressed some things because Craig Alsop, the missionary that was here back in, uh, in January, you remember him, he, he posted something on Facebook that I read and it's heartbreaking but it fits in so much with what we're talking about and why church doctrine is so vitally important for you to know and to understand and to apply to your life and for our church to stand on and what we're up against in this world. Listen to some of these statistics. At least, and I, I, listen, I'm sorry ahead of time. If, if this offends you, if it makes you cringe, I truly am sorry. But there's a point to it. 
and it's important that we, especially we as believers, understand what's going on in our society today. Did you know that there are at least 100,000, 100,000, Melvin, what is Springfield, about 148,000, 150,000 people? 156,000. That is two-thirds the population of the city that we, that, that, that most of us either live in or live around. Over 100,000, at least 100,000 children today in America, in America, are slaves in the, sla in the ch child sex trafficking industry. In America. 100,000 children. More children than are in the Springfield public school system. Think about that. By the way, they don't choose this. They've been abducted. Some of them... <laughs> You know, I'm a pretty calm guy now. I get upset once in a while. And I've, I've never in my life hit somebody first in anger. Never. I've defended myself, but I've never started a fight physically with anybody. <laughs> but for child sex traffickers, I'm willing to make an exception. Amen. Truly. Let me, let me make it a little, more, a little more powerful for you. The handlers of these children on one child can make up to, you ready for this? Up to $250,000 a year on one child. Some of these children are sold into these acts six, between six and ten times a day. A day. <laughs> and we worry about what we don't agree with, with somebody in church. You see how Satan gets in and causes stupid stuff to cause trouble between Christians in churches? We, we a little, I, I have two eight-year-old boys. Did you know that 300,000 children right now are at risk? My, my boys, honestly, my boys come from, come from the foster care system, right? Foster care system. You know that foster kids are incredibly, incredibly vulnerable to this kind of thing. We still, listen, we're, we're, um, we're considering buying a house right now. And with our sons, with their history, we have to talk to them about things well in advance so that they can get themselves ready. You know what Gabriel and Michael did? The first thing they did, first thing they did, Christine, mm, breaks my heart. First thing our boys did, when we talked to them about the possibility of moving, of buying our own home for our own family security, so that when I retire, my family will have a home. We won't have to move out of the church. Parsonage will have our own home. It's not anything against the church. It's just something everybody wants to do. You know what Gabriel and Michael did their first thing? They went up and packed a suitcase. They've been with us for six years, man. Six years. And they went and packed the suitcase because they thought they're going to a different home. These kids are incredibly vulnerable, and we're worrying 
about what somebody thinks of us in church. Unbelievable. In 2017, the last year, we have statistics, accurate statistics for, some of you may have been personally touched by this. In 2017, at least 47,600 people died from opioid overdose. Opioid overdose. And most of them, it was accidental. And you say, well, that's a personal responsibility thing, Pastor John. Oh, au contraire, my frere. We have an industry that pumps out opioids like they were candy. And we have disgusting doctors who overprescribe and overmedicate because whether you understand it or not, doctors get a kickback every time they write a prescription for something like that. They don't care. They got a second home on the Cape. They vacation all they want. It doesn't matter the lives they're destroying. 47,600 people died of opioid overdose. And we don't care. Listen, church doctrine tells us that we are to love others, that we are to put others before ourselves. And that means that we are to reach out and we are to do what we can to help those in need. Not to look down on them, but to do what we can to help them. To help change people's perspective. To help change their view of what's going on in this world and going on in life. In 2017 alone, and I know some of you feel differently about this than I do. I'm not going to get into it. I'll just tell you this. In 2017 alone... Over 862,000 abortions were, were, take, were provided in the United States of America. Since abortion became legal, over 45 million children have been killed through the process of abortion. 45 million. Let that sink in. You see, that's since 1972, I believe. You see... You say, well, what does church doctrine have to do with that? Church doctrine centers you on your morality. Church doctrine helps you to understand what is truly vital and important in your life. Church doctrine helps you to understand that you are responsible to be one who cries out as a voice in the wilderness. Church doctrine helps you to understand you are a light for others to see. We're to be a city set on a hill, not so that you can come to America and get a great 401k and make a lot of money. But so that you can stand up and say, Jesus Christ is the hope of this world. And I'm going to live my life in such a way according to a set of standards and according to a biblical output and outlay in such a way that I am an example of, uh, to others of what Jesus can do with a life. Not worrying about what other people think of me. Not worrying about whether, uh, whether uh, the, the color of the carpet in the church is the right color. Being concerned about the fact that people outside these walls are lost and dying and on their way to hell. And they're not getting any help from out there. What they're getting from out there is people who want to steal their children and set them, set them, sell them into slavery. What they're getting out there is doctors who will mask the pain of a broken life with opioids. What they're getting out, of there, out from, from out there is easy solutions to a life-changing problem. They're not being taught how to deal 
They're not being taught that Jesus Christ is the answer for the world today. Church doctrine is important because it gives us a moral compass and keeps us from becoming cold to these facts. Very quickly, let me give you some scriptures about the importance of the Bible and doctrine. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, on the inspiration of Scripture. And all that simply means we believe in the verbal, plenary inspiration of Scripture here at New Life. That is our foundational doctrine. We believe that the, the Word of God is God-inspired. God spoke to holy men of old, spoke as they were uh, given inspiration by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's doctrine. We believe here at New Life that the Bible is completely 100% the word of God. And if you read it, if you take it and, and apply it to your life, it will make you a better follower of Jesus and quite honestly make you a better human being. And you will then be able to have the ability to reach out to others and help change and transform their lives. The Bible teaches us the importance of teaching sound doctrine. Titus chapter 1, verse 9 and 2, verse 1. Holding to the faithful messages taught so that he will, both, uh, he will be able to both to encourage with sound teaching and to refute those who contradict it. Not only can you say, this is my Bible and I believe what it says. By learning sound doctrine, you'll be able to say, this is my Bible, I believe what it says. And here, let me tell you why. You won't have to just say, hey, go listen, to, uh, go listen to us on Facebook or listen to our podcast, and that'll explain it to, to you. You'll be able to sit down and reason the scriptures with people and say, this is why I believe what I believe. But you are to proclaim things consistent with sound teaching. We are now officially in an election year, Right? Officially, the presidential race begins tomorrow, right, when the Iowa caucuses start. Let me tell you what you won't see or hear here at New Life. You will not hear candidates being, uh, being um, or uh, what's the word, um, endorsed from the pulpit, and you will not see voting little papers telling you how to vote out there. That's your responsibility to learn who you, what you believe politically, where you stand, and who you're going to vote for and support. My prayer is that the Word of God and the things you learn and, and hear here in this church will help you to make informed, biblical, moral decisions. Now, good people can come to different conclusions, but it doesn't need to divide us. What we're going to talk about here is what is pertinent to this world. And what is pertinent to this world from the church is that they need Jesus Christ more than they need anything else. The importance of knowing and practice, practicing sound doctrine, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. That means be ready when it's convenient and when it's not. Be ready with the word of God when it's easy and when it's not. How many of you can be ready? How many of you know what it means to be ready with the Word of God when it's easy? Yeah, we know that. How many of you know what it means to be ready with the Word of God when it's not? When it's not is much more difficult, isn't it? When, it's di when, it, when you need to take that stand, when you need to confront a brother or sister, hey, listen, as a pastor, I don't have the luxury of just walking away from people. I have to take stands. 
As a pastor, I have to call people, if they're going to minister in my church, I have to call people on their sin. Now, you may not like that fact, but that's a fact nonetheless. I have to say, listen, we can't use you here until you get your life cleaned up. If you choose to continue living the way you are right now, we can't have that here. Why? Because we are trying to present to people what Jesus Christ can do with a life. And if you don't care about that, then I'm sorry, we just can't put you up in a, in a position of teaching children. How would, let, me, let me make a, a, a crazy example here. If I, as the pastor, knew that there was a man in our church that frequented these sex traffickers and frequented, you can, in this article it said you can buy a child for $25. 25 bucks. That's how much we've dehumanized children. If I knew there was a man that was frequenting those kind of situations on a weekly basis, what would you expect me to do, parents? What would you expect me to do with that person if they were working in our children's ministry? Oh, it's okay. That's not, they don't bring it into church. No. They don't bring it into church. No, 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 no. Don't talk to me that way. Don't talk to me. Pastor John, uh, then I go the other way. Sorry. <laughs> Dude, my first job is to tell you you're not going to be teaching in my church. My second job is to call the police before I beat you down. And then what happens? Do we support the pastoral decision? Or do we skewer the pastor because he took a stand for truth against sin in high places? Boy, that, makes it, that brings it right down the alley, doesn't it? You see, folks, that's what church doctrine teaches us. That although our friends may be caught up in things, we still need to do what's right according to the word of God. I will never... And Take this as you will. It's on Facebook. Anybody who wants to watch it can watch it. I will never apologize for standing for the truth of the word of God in my church and making sure that my church is led and ministered to by people who will stand for the word of God instead of living sinful lives. And if you don't like that, we can talk about it later and I can explain it to you. Folks, that's why church doctrine is so important, because we're not here to be a country club. We're not here to just sit around and drink coffee and eat donuts and discuss what we think might be, might be uh, fun to do during the week. We're here to talk about the Word of God, and we're here to learn about the Word of God, and we're here to apply it to our lives, and we're here to take it and walk out from this place living the Word of God to others. That's what we're here for. What are the dangers of allowing and following false doctrine? 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, verses 3 through 5. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does it... Now, <laughs> you, may just, you may think I just went off on a, tan, on, on a tantrum there. Listen to these verses from Paul writing to Timothy. Paul being inspired by the Holy Spirit. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and constant disagreement among peoples whose mind are depraved and deprived from truth, 
who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. Why is it so important that we not only teach it, but live powerful, true church doctrine? Because if we don't, we're leading people in the wrong way. If we don't, we're leading people away from Jesus Christ and not towards him. Remember, Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I will draw people to me. Not if you lift up your opinion. Not if you lift up your, your desire. Not if you hide your sin and lift yourself up before people. If we lift Jesus up, he will draw people to him. That's what's important. The personal responsibility for knowing and practicing sound doctrine we find in 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. My boys aren't quite ready for this, but as soon as they are ready to take this scripture in and understand what it's teaching, I guarantee you we will be, we will be patting this down in their lives. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that, has come, that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now, it is already in the world. I, I saw something on, uh, I saw a video this week, and this group claims that they went to Africa with seven suitcases for children. And they went to the first village and they filled up trash bags for clothes with these kids. And then they just started traveling all around Africa. And then all, all of it, and those suitcases never got empty. Like, so you're, you're proclaiming to yourself the power of Jesus Christ. You attributed what you did to Jesus multiplying the food, the loaves and the fishes. You claimed to have the power of, of Jesus Christ to do this. What are you thinking? Really? And people are eating that up. And I'm, I'm, here I am, the cynic. Can you show me proof of this? Because... There, first of all, there's no biblical basis for you to, to say that you can do that. Secondly, you can't do that. <laughs> you just can't do that. I, I say that that's not true. Prove it. Prove it to me. Oh, they've got reenactments. Those are... <laughs> okay, great, great. Try the spirits. Try the spirits. Does God even infer that he's going to do that? Does God tell anybody that he would give them that power to multiply clothing and walk around with suitcases that will never get empty. And children will, they said children walking away with big hefty trash bags full of clothes. When did it dawn on you? I, I, and people are eating that up and believing it. The Bible says to try those. As wonderful as you think that might be, the Bible says try those spirits to see if they're true, to see if they line up with the scriptures to see if they have biblical basis to make their claims. Same thing in the church. Doctrine is vital. Doctrine is important. Doctrine not only gives us a moral compass to live by, doctrine also helps us to live our lives in such a way that we honor Jesus Christ and show that to the world. And in the church, oh, believe me, 
if you are a seeker of Jesus Christ, you do not want to be in a church that doesn't practice sound doctrine because it has no purpose. Sound doctrine. Beginning with understanding the importance and the impact the Bible can have on your life and on your church and how that is supposed to interact with your life and the church. I challenge you. Step back and take a look at doctrine in a different way. Understand that it is vital for the way you live and the way you represent Jesus to this world. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word, God, for what it means to us, for how it impacts us. God, thank you so much for the clarity of your word. God, I pray that each of us as individuals will understand, God, that it's important what we believe and why. It's important what, we, what our church stands for and why. And God, I pray that each one of us will examine ourselves and see what it is that I believe, what it is that I feel, what it is that I'm saying, and what it is that I'm standing for. And help us to understand, God, that that truly matters in our lives and it truly matters in our church, and the two have to come together. Lord, bless us as we go from this place. Watch over those who are sick. Lord, bring them back to health. God, bless this church. Grow this church according to your plan. And may we honor you in all things. May we go forward today as worshipers, proclaiming your word. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.